Hello, I'm Josephine Burton and welcome back to the Dash Arts podcast, seeing the world through an artistic lens. And particularly welcome back to our mini-series on our production Dido's Bar. Dido's Bar is Dash Arts' big show for autumn 2022, a retelling of Virgil's Aeneid through the eyes of contemporary migration today. This week, I'm actually recording this intro in Finland, where our composer for Dido's Bar is based, working on the production, whilst Rachel has kindly been threading this podcast together. I'll leave you with Rachel to give more of an insight into our journey to production so far and how you might be able to be part of its ongoing development through the big give christmas campaign thank you so much josephine so this week i'm talking to writer hattie naylor composer maruf majidi and of course our own artistic director josephine burton about their dynamic as a creative trio and how they got started we'll also be talking about and sharing clips from the incredible workshops that dash have put together with hattie and maruf to complement dido's bar and the messages surrounding it but first Josephine has some exciting news to share. I have to tell you before we start at all is Hattie, you have a very, very early birthday present. Oh, fantastic! Sorry, I didn't gonna hurt people's ears. Sorry, I just, I just went red. Uh, we we had that we heard yesterday that we got the Arts Council grant um, for for Dido's Bar, which is amazing because that's the last bit of funding that we need to make Dido's Bar happen. Oh, um, it's really amazing news. Maruf, isn't that fantastic? Congratulations. Amazing. Oh, amazing. Well so done, we guys. definitely now have a show. <laughs> Ray, Ray. <laughs> I'll open. I'm on my own tonight, but that doesn't stop me from drinking bubbly wine. Never Please drink. <laughs> Please drink bubbly wine. Or that, what's the, what's the drink that we had, Maruf, in the sauna in, uh, in, 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 um, in Finland? Yes. Yeah, the long kettle. We will, we will, we will not drink some long ago, but we'll imagine that we're drinking long ago. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I wanted to share that with you. I thought that would be a nice piece Fantastic. of news for, for, oh, to have. Thank to you. Have for us all. That is, that's lovely. I know we're picking up this podcast from from the last one, where where which was like a lovely journey into into my meeting Maruth and working with Maruth. I suppose up until our kind of grazy trip to the Highlands of Scotland, but the, the kind of the third musketeer um, and the real partner of you know the, a really true partner in crime for us both is, is 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 bringing Hattie into the mix, which which happened shortly after that trip to Scotland. Um, so I definitely feel like the three of us have have kind of taken on this. We are the triumvirate of Dido's Bar. Um, so it's been, I guess, that the journey of the process and the update from from where we were on the podcast to where we are now is really about Hattie joining our gang and the amazing collaboration that has come out of having a brilliant writer with us to to explore what this this story will look like. So when did you join the project, Hattie? And um, you'd already done a tr- an adaptation of the Aeneid. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Um, uh, I think Josephine didn't hadn't come across that and and I wouldn't have you know that's not a criticism um, remotely <laughs> I did a version of it for Radio 3 so what I'm trying to say is that I didn't get the commission because of that so uh, um, though it had been it was nominated for I can't remember which award it was now but it was nominated I can't remember it probably because we didn't get it um, but, but um, it was nominated for the Radio Audio Award and um, and the, uh, it was working with a different composer somebody called Will Gregory Who's the other half? Well, the half of Goldfrapp. So it was quite a, a, a everything to work on, but it was very. We stuck very much to the text. It was Fagel's translation that we worked from. So when did you join the project? I'm, I'm not sure. Just been was it two years ago? You know, because COVID, of course, stopped everything, and we all did a few. We did a few workshops on Zoom, which was 
uh, interesting. I can't, Josephine, do you know when you stopped, when we started talking? I remember we had our first conversation. It was March 2020. So it was, it was really just before the, the pandemic hit us all. We were still, I mean, we brought you in in early March and we're, we're starting to think about going to Finland that summer. So it was definitely before the pandemic hit that we met. But the conversations began, uh, we decided to sort of start conversations on Zoom. So it, I think we probably started them in April and, and, and it was fairly it was fairly obvious to us quite quickly that we weren't going to get to Finland. So then we started thinking about different ways of working. And of course, we never, we didn't meet for at least a year and a bit, I think. Is that right, Josephine? We just <laughs> yes. talked on Zoom. So when did the first, the three of you first meet? Maruf, did, was that when you came over here? Yeah, yeah. That was the, the first time was the last summer for the first time. So in Helsinki, when we, when we were in Maiden Festival. It, oh, wow. Okay. Which actually quite felt unreal after having so many, uh, you know, Zoom conversations and developing and I working on Hattie's text. And after probably one and a half year, we, we met for the first time last summer. And Hattie, what was that like for you sort of um, doing all of that o- online and then sort of jumping in in person? Because I remember I met you over the Zoom at the R&D, what, last December? Yes, yeah, so initially I wasn't in the room and Maruf came over and they did a workshop with me on Zoom with me dipping in. And then the same thing happened the other way around with Maruf on Zoom and me in the room. Um, and so when we met, it was sort of, I sort of feel it was almost emotional because you'd got to know somebody every, over, you know, a year and a half and you'd never actually physically been in the same room. It must have been the same for lots of organisations and, and arts organisations across the country. Unfortunately, if I can say this, Marie and Josephine, we all seem to get on. <laughs> yes. Yeah, there is always the risk. That's true. There's, I mean, you, you don't know someone, doesn't matter how good he or she is, but there is also the personal and the human connection. So. And, and likewise for me, it just worked it did. It did just work. And and I think one of the reasons why it worked um, was because on the first night we got to, we sort of started working on the Monday and we all arrived on Sunday night and uh, we had a kind of an initial conversation and talked about the plan for the week. And then we were given the key to the sauna. And um, we we kind of I think I think Maruf went and got alcohol and we ended up sort of we ended up having like a proper Finnish summer party on the lake in this beautiful place in with the sauna and it was this brilliant icebreaker it wasn't cold I'm happy to say but it was a brilliant way to start the process because it like you know there was something about it was something about the informality of getting to know each other jumping in the lake you know like the proper like sauna experience I think was totally fantastic and we all it it, it bonded us as a group before we'd even started yes I'd agree with that you know the, the Japanese have a party at the beginning of, of a, a venture they don't necessarily have a party I believe at the end it's the very beginning and it felt like that and I think that's a really wonderful way to begin uh, um, an exploration with with a group of people, it was a wonderful night, and then we had many other wonderful nights. I think right the way through our, our stay there. So, how do you start writing for this? Sort of take me through how that would even work. You're you're sat in the in the room and you're listening to the music that they're coming up with, or do you give them the sort of skeletons of of the writing you've already done, and then music comes from that? Um, norm- normally, you would you would and and different uh, composers work different ways. But normally, you give you give you produce a text first. That's what you do with a libretto. And I would say this is more this is closer to a, a, a libretto than it is to to lyrics. 
actually it's sort of it's always sitting in between the two what I call lyrics is a very sort of beaty and they have to hit certain beats and they have to hit certain rhymes whereas um, words for an opera for a libretto is a letter libretto for an opera there they don't have to be so constructed and they don't have to be so limited and of course working with a these this extraordinary composer a musician which musician which is Maruf um, and the other wonderful artists that we had in the room in Finland you're able to sort of write in a, in what I feel I feel a much more expansive way when you're constructing song um, and it's really inspiring to write in the room you know I really love writing in the room it's one of my favorite things to do I never find it hard I think we I don't know how many songs did we create that, that week the week in film was phenomenal it's about seven songs six or seven yeah I was very productive unbelievable unbelievable and I just add to what the Hattie was saying I mean usually easiest way I just you get the text you know and then you reflect on the text as a composer, you know, in any way, melodically, harmonically, rhythmically. You reflect on what you hear, what you see, what you understand from the text. The process that we were, what we have had actually so far, is more of a communicational way. Huh? So there is a, it's not only, okay, you get the text and you compose for it. It's more like how you understand the text and how you how the thing that i'm going to compose how it's related to the previous things how it is also related to the actors or the other artists who are in the room so the outcome might be something different totally differently if there are different people in the room i i think it's really worth that's a really good point Marif. and i i think interestingly what when we we've made a virtue out of of not all being in the same place simultaneously, but it's also helped us really evolve a, a pro working processes of three so that by the time we all got together to Finland, we were really clear about the right way of working. And that was amazing. So the first time, you know, we, we were learning how to deal with, you know, how, how, how to experience the text, a rock kind of wit in, in our midst as we were all musicians learning to working together. And then it was quite different. The text was evolving in the room and Marif wasn't there the second time. So the third time when we were together in Finland, um, we, we had this kind of beautiful kind of chemistry that sometimes Hattie would be writing in her room um, and we would be thinking about a song or working on a music or thinking about the tech, you know, working a previous text and, and, and honing the kind of the dramatic, how it would feel and sound in the room. And then this Hattie would emerge and there'd be a bit more text and we'd, we'd explore that scene and start thinking about what that music could sound like and what that scene would feel like. Um, and then Hattie sometimes would be in the room writing with us. But there were lovely moments when Hattie would get to the end of that scene and Hattie would be like, you know, Hattie would turn around to me and say, oh, well, I'll write another scene now. What's, it, what's going to happen in this next scene? So then we'd work out where the story would be going next based on what we know of the Aeneid and, and our version of retelling that story in our bar and with our, with our musicians. We would, uh, we would, Hattie would then go off and write the next scene inspired by the conversation we just had and the musical landscape that we were creating. So it was really a, um, it really evolved very beautifully. Um, and uh, I think as a dynamic between the three of us, we really have kind of developed a language that would help kind of nurture the right, the right environment for the show. I totally agree. Absolutely. It was very, very easy. 
and it isn't always easy and that's to do with um the quality of it, the quality of the people that were in the room we were given this um space to work and food and we were really nurtured wonderfully by the Maidan Festival and Global Art Point. It was just a phenomenal opportunity. But the other thing that happened that week was that part of the conditions for doing the residency was that we'd need to do a form of sharing at the end of it, uh, which which is pretty normal procedure. But at a certain point, I discovered that people were buying tickets for that sharing. So rather than just provide them with a little, you know, maybe a talk and a couple of songs, we actually had to give them, give the audience something, which really pushed us all. So that actually from, you know, we were having this incredibly intense creative time, but at a certain point, we needed to find a way to kind of make that, make the work shareable um, publicly. And, And it pushed us to start setting the you know, to to, 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 to to really work out, you know, to sort of see how we would share this this first draft of that one as a form of performance. So suddenly we were teching the teching the production with lighting and sound and working out how oh, to wow. move and blocking the show and 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 um very intensively at the same time as writing music. And uh the the, the team were phenomenal really to, to be up for doing this journey. And of course then their professional values kicked in at a certain point and they were like, well we if we're gonna perform, we've got to perform it well. So we worked very hard. But I, that was a big part of the brilliant opportunity of being in Finland, I think, was actually beginning to see how this show would take shape as a performance with an audience and then performing it with the audience and seeing the audience's response people were crying and it wasn't just because they wanted to get out of the room they were moved by the <laughs> by the experience of seeing this work and that was a phenomenal that was a phenomenal thing for us to really to be in the midst of yeah. the process and to immediately see people's responses to it you know i'm brought into projects to make people cry <laughs> it's true <laughs> It was funny as well, wasn't it? We had we it, what I what I love to help create um, is um, what I call all the colours, absolutely every aspect uh, within a piece. And of course, the, the joy about particularly classics is that uh, you can create all all those different variations in a piece. So there are moments that were truly funny. I think particularly the arguments between the the goddesses Juno and Venus um, uh, and there are moments that were truly tragic there's a sort of speech when when Aeneas is talking about um, trying to save his wife and then he, uh, if you know the story the wife then sort of turns turns up in in, um, in the poems a ghost and there's a sort of song that comes out of that that's really moving and it was probably the darkest part but I think you want the darkest part as well as the lightest part in a piece and I think I think we've already really achieved that I w- it was sort of it was quite astounding watching the effect because it was only in R and D, you know, bearing in mind that of course to the Finns and the, and the audience predominantly Finns, this is, is this is their second language, um, but it still seemed to have a real impact on them. Um, and it, you know, of course, once you experience that, it makes you just so excited about what the project will be when it's finally finished. If it's already in a shape like that already. Wow. And then, so how how much has it changed since then? So you must have, did you feel the sort of pressure of having to get something together? And then has it, is the sort of the script and the music massively changed since then? Murray referred to last summer, but I feel like last summer was just minutes ago, really. But we 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 um we did gather together in October, just a couple of weeks ago, to 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 listen to how to listen to the script as it currently is, the full script, because we worked on Act Two 
last year, last November in London, we did a little bit of work in in May in London on 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 some of it, and then we worked on Act One in Finland, and we've never actually had listened to Act One and Act Two together. So we 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 brought into the room um, a couple of brilliant actors based in London who were really phenomenally international um, in their backgrounds and music and bringing music and theatre, and we we spent one day with them and uh, reading through the script and listening to some of the songs. Uh, with some people who've already been with us f- before, including Laura Hanna, who's attended quite a few of the R&Ds, so knows, knows a bit of the material already, just to see how it sounded, how, how these pieces that have been created in such different environments could work together as a whole, which was wonderful to see and wonderful to hear, and I'd love to hear Hattie Emeriv's thoughts on, on how it felt listening to, it, listening to their work as a, a kind of listening back and listening to it together. Um, but we then had, have had one amazing day talking about it, and now, now that we've got this grant, we can go ahead and commission the full script and score to, to, to sort of move it into its next stage of the show. Marif, how do you feel that it's the show sort of like moved on and, and progressed since then? It's interesting. Now, I should say that I'm, I'm sitting now in my hotel room and looking on this beautiful Mediterranean sea in South Spain. And uh, I was this morning, I was actually looking at this beautiful, gorgeous blue and green sea and I was thinking about you know the the journey of Anaid you know probably somewhere I don't not necessarily here in this city but it's been going through the 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 same same waters you know and the same lands and uh, and I was thinking you know that uh, I don't know how much of the the whole story is true but anyway the the character that we have the the person who you know who was here 1000 years ago and now we retell his story retell their story you know in in our way and uh, we try you know to use what we know from the history what we know from the virgil's uh telling story to us but also you know to you know kind of uh, have the full respect to that but also to make our own story and our own interpretation of that so each time that i uh, you know hear the story and of course the new retelling of story what like what we had a couple of weeks ago in london you know i feel that you know we're getting closer and closer to to the the original one you know even though we're making our own and you know we ch- it changes all the time you know it now it's happening in Dido's bar it's related to the refugees and we're talking about nowadays and uh, Europe you know and things that happening in this modern life but still you know we I feel that you know it's a, it's in a cycle and we're getting closer to how how he felt you know in a way so all these sessions that we have had I think it has helped us it has helped me you know to get to know these characters of course the main character or the, the whole stories around him but also the other characters in this this world of uh, Daidos or world of Anais or world of Virgil so I think all of those shortly have me to understand you know all these sessions to understand more of the character and uh, and the story which is, uh, I think, the central thing in the in the piece. So talking about sort of like understanding story and understanding the piece a bit more, as part of um, Dado's Bar and the process of developing that, you've also been running workshops around London and Oxford. How did those come about? What um, what was the sort of, 
What's the sort of thinking behind those uh, workshops? When we, Dido's Bar will come to the UK in in 2022 in the autumn and um, it will play in London and in various other cities across the UK, Oxford, Portsmouth, Manchester and Leicester. And the, the piece will live in in its communities and we are very keen that um not only do do will 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 the audiences love the piece be part of the piece be kind of attend the bar be part of the world of dido's bar but um we there are lots of opportunities for actually integrating um people into the show and guest spots or working in the bar so um and the other part of it is is that communities of those places have extraordinary stories so many of them so many of the people within within those cities are themselves new rivals and of themselves lived through experiences like Dido and Aeneas of moving of moving to Europe so we were really keen that um, we would hear those find ways to hear those stories learn from those people find ways to integrate some of the extraordinary stories that we hear into our show and into the development of the show before we officially kind of commission the script but also we would find ways to embed the show in the community so that when we finally present the work um, it's owned by the communities as well as being for them uh, so so layering that this year was really important to build our audiences, to build engagement with the piece locally. So not only did Hattie and Marie and I work in London on threading together the text and spending time with actors, but we also ran a series of workshops and gigs in London and in Oxford to kind of lay the groundwork towards next year. And uh, if I can just add to that, that, you know, I, I, I felt all the time, you know, that it's also kind of we, we pre-introduced the... Uh, I don't know if that's the word, but pre-introduce the the world that we're going to talk about. You know the you know the the world of uh, Middle Eastern, North African uh, music and culture. So that what I had in my mind in the workshops and in the concerts. So was how to introduce to you know this new world to these people. You know to to just have a, a small understanding of what we're going to offer them later well i was there and i think that it was a huge success and people were certainly engaged with the the singing and the and the dancing even if unwillingly at first (laughs) they got into it didn't they maroof was able to create incredible and interesting workshops on middle eastern music introducing many of the themes from dido's bar giving context on the differences in the style of music and a more western style of music and most importantly, creating a fun and inclusive atmosphere where everyone felt able to contribute. This feel is going to be central to the world of Dido's Bar. And I wanted to include a few clips from the Oxford workshop for listeners to enjoy. In the Western world, huh? in the Western world, we see the rhythms uh, linear. So this is how a Western composer and a listener thinks. Uh, one, two, three, four, and one, two, three, four, and one. Where is the first beat? That's the main and most important thing in a Western way of thinking music. Where is the first beat? True? Mm-hmm. All of you who has gone through the Western way of learning music, music schools, radio, the, the music, the mainstream. Everything is based on the idea of where is the first beat. Hmm? And it doesn't matter if it's an odd rhythm or a simple rhythm, regular rhythm. So always is a 
were in the first seat. In the East, and in Africa as well, and South America as well, think the rhythm in this way. You see, the accents could be actually anywhere. Huh? So, in a, if we do this in a, in a, let's say, Western way of thinking, so you, you, you think in this way, and that's just a different of thinking, as it was in a microtonality, huh? So, a different approach, basically the same, because the approach is different, the feeling is different behind it. So, you emphasize different things, so. Because my heart is there. My heart has a house in between your toes, between your hairs. Don't curve it. <laughs> that, that's the lyric. <laughs> so when you when you come that you will break my heart because you'll break my heart. <laughs> <laughs> sort of sit into the world of Dada's Bar? Well, it was on character, really, I think, and a tiny bit on story. One of the hardest things, of course, to, to do with classics, I think, uh, because character moves so quickly and changes so quickly. When you think about how many characters we see um, on television and film, as well as theatre now, we were sort of, it's very difficult to create a really rich character. So I did one workshop on that, do with how you construct a really rich character and the other part of that the other part of the workshop was story I mean, Robert McKee you know is a great sort of Hollywood guru 
um, says that we all create a sort of narrative inside our head about our own lives. And that's really useful when it comes to telling someone about what you've been through and what has happened to you, that narrative and that narrative construction. And uh, Jung says that's also, Carl Jung says that it's also um, tied up with archetypal story, that, that story sits inside of us. We've all heard stories over and over again. So we have a construct of what a story is and isn't. You know, historically, a, a, a story sort of builds in a three-act structure. And then once you hit the, th the third-act climax, you rush to the end. So it looks like a sort of... A sort of um, rectangle if that makes sense um, as regards how you draw one um, and um, though we all sort of know that instinctively you know so you get the big powerful emotion the biggest most emotional part of any story is is is, is at the end that's how you also deliver us we sort of know that that is the case that we haven't actually necessarily thought about it so I, I sort of talked through story really and of course, again, when it comes to, you know, particularly when you're adapting a poem, which is what this, of course, is, you have to really shape that piece of work, particularly if it's, if it's drama, in a specific way to make it work. Otherwise, it is too difficult for us to really absorb the story. The story has to have to has a sp specific pattern, um, I would say, particularly in a, in a Western narrative, which is where we are, because that is something we are so used to. And it is, it, if all the sort of, dramatic techniques out there structure is the one thing that's the hardest to defy because because we're so used to this pattern in storytelling the punches at the end and then again it's the same with the joke you know there's a wonderful magic thing in drama to do with uh three so it's the it's the you set up you know you begin the joke you set you develop the joke and then you land it on the third line it will not laugh you will not laugh if you land it on the second line and it's, it's this gorgeous shape that we're used to, and that's called the three-act structure, which is developed initially talked about by Aristotle. So that I talked a little bit about that with them, um, as well as character. All those things that we sort of instinctively know, but we've got no idea why we know them. Absolutely. And, you know, and I really do believe, you know, because I, uh, I teach quite a bit as well, and I, I really do believe that everyone has the ability to write and create story inside them. You just have to sort of give them the right tools. I sort of believe that really passionately. And it is very interesting when you look back at how you create your own personal narrative about how your life has been so far, which, of course, is, is so poignant and important if you've been through a particularly difficult path. You know, if you're if you're amongst the many people that are coming into new countries for the first time um, due, due to war or displacement or economic reasons, that story is particularly important. And to be able to tell that effectively really helps you in the telling of that story on every single level. And I think a psychological level, on, as well as how you politically explain to somebody what has happened to you. Hattie's passion for story and inclusivity in writing is part of what makes working with her so special. We were incredibly lucky to have her running a workshop on story with us. She talked about how to find interesting stories, how to work with your own life experiences, and how to create heroes who interest us, who challenge us, and who are relevant today, which is something that she's also brought to her writing for Dido's Bar. I have a few clips which demonstrate this beautifully. Now, some people start with ideas, some people start with um, the theme, um, and some people start with character. I tend to, I tend to start with ideas. If you, are, if you find it really difficult to create ideas, to look at ideas, and hopefully that will also come out of this exercise in a minute, 
then one of the ways to find really good ideas and really good places is, is, um, is really, it's a really undervalued resource. Obviously there's history and there's music and there are many places that inspire us. But local newspapers have some of the most incredible stories in. And if you find that you want, you want to write something you can't find a topic, and my local newspaper is more than broadsheets. It's on broadsheets, everyone knows that was that news. Um, and I do another exercise where I get a whole class to take to, to look at a local newspaper together. And they, they find stories from that. Sometimes I think it's really hard just to find a story that you want to tell. And that's to do with really engaging with where you are, where you live, but also um, uh, really going to see everything and reading everything. So I go and see high art stuff as much as I go and see, go and watch stacks and stacks of television and read lessons and read lots of history. So you, you have many, many choices. So your hero is um, gay. Your hero is gay. They are a secretary and an estate agent. Um, and they are arrogant and slightly mean. Think about that. This is your hero. This is the person that you're writing the whole of the story about. Okay. You can't use too many negative traits, otherwise you, otherwise you make the character unmanageable. Bearing in mind that we like characters that are really complex to be the main protagonists in the story. We don't really like them simple. We don't like them to be flawless. One, because that means they won't have enough obstacles, but also that tells us nothing about ourselves either, because all of us are sort of multi-faceted as regards our character. The most interesting thing about creating authentic character is that the only person that will ever know truly is yourself. You'll never know truly the heart of anyone else. The only other people that you'll ever know are the people you create, the people you write about, the century rules. And the more you get to know somebody, this is my experience, this might not be yours. The weirder they get. They don't get less weird, they don't get less complicated. They get weirder and weirder and weirder. You know, one of the things about being human is that we all feel that no one understands us anyway. It's part of the human condition. We all feel alone. And part of that is just how strange others are to us, really, when you get close to people. And what you want to do when you're writing characters first is to create something that really, really reflects that. This is where getting near that. So this is our hero, this gay, um, his second estate agent. He's arrogant, our hero. He's a bit mean. And maybe he keeps turtles. <laughs> isn't he interesting? Or she? Let's make she. Isn't she interesting already? And she's the person that's going to have obstacles. We're going to empathise with her. We're going, to go to, we're going to make a whole story around her and about the difficulties that she faces. Josephine, you must be thrilled with the success of the workshop and the gigs that you've done. Do you have anything to add? It's a joy always to work with them. And I absolutely, I mean, my highlights for the last little workshop series, I could, there are so many, um, often just laughing with, with Maruf and Hattie. But, but a couple of like amazing moments were, um, were, were, were sitting down the day after the read through of the text and saying, okay, uh, how did it feel? And what did we think? And where's it going next? And this, and, and, and just um, having, learning so much from the experience of hearing the work with the actors and, and understanding 
understanding where the show needs to go and there are quite there's quite a lot of missing sections particularly towards the end like we don't quite know yet where the show is going to fit how it's going to end and just talking about it um having with the text and the music ringing in our ears was really very inspiring and continues to be in we are interrupting Hattie this this today for the podcast interview while she's actually writing some of a proposed ending for the show so we're really in the thick of the writing process at the moment um but the other thing which was amazing was was being in the royal docks uh, at, at the docks originals festival having watched hattie and murray do workshops with with communities locally in um in newham and then we had this gig and the gig was completely brilliant and as you say um rachel i wasn't at the oxford show you were people but people did dance and people sung and they were singing the songs of like you know kurdish wedding songs and they were dancing these amazing circle dances <laughs> and 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 um the, the, there wasn't much reticence actually in london people were just up for like getting up and dancing not everybody but a lot of people were like holding arms in our weird covid experience with masks on and not with masks on and some people just dancing by themselves on the other end of the room but people were really into it and I turned around to the my lovely contact at the Royal Docks and I was like I'm this is a taste of Diodo's Bar next year the sheer craziness and complete like we were bringing the world to Newham and someone even turned around and said that to me I can't believe we've got this in our neighbourhood. And which was like, I told, you know, I turned around to the Royal Docks. I was like, that's the quote you want for the event. Um, but it was joyous and so phenomenal to to see. And I got very excited about what will happen next year when we bring the full show to the UK and we make this piece and we bring the world to the UK and um, people get to dance and sing and be part of it. Joyous is the right word. Uh, that's exactly how it felt. Yeah. It was so funny in Oxford. Like people were a bit like, oh, well, you know, maybe I'm was like, no, no, it'll be great. It'll be fun. And then, you know, before you know it, everybody's on their feet <laughs> trying to sing these words and like walking back and forth and everyone's clapping for them. I mean, it was a really sort of fun and like beautiful sense of, of community and madness. <laughs> it's just been an absolute delight, the whole process so far. And I can't see it not continuing to be an absolute delight to work for Dash Arts and to work with Maru and the other musicians we had in the room in Finland as well. And all the other uh, actors and actresses we worked with through the, with the readings with Laura um, and Nandi. And um, yes, just a delight. And I'm, I'm so excited about the next few months Thank you so much for, for taking the time, guys. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. And thank you, thank you, Rachel. Of course, you're doing the podcast, but also in Oxford. You, you did great. Thank you. Oh, yeah, it was my pleasure. It really was. Rachel, were you dancing? Oh, of course. Oh, good. Uh, yes, she was, she was the main dancer. Then. I was dancing. <laughs> I was singing. I was pretending I knew what was going on. I mean, it was great. <laughs> 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 Lovely. I want to thank Josephine, Hattie and Maru for their time on this podcast, as well as Oxford Contemporary Music and Royal Docks for having us with them. And a huge shout out to everyone who came to the workshop and the gigs and contributed fantastically. Dash Arts is a small charity which relies on donations to keep making work. And as such, we are taking part in the Big Gives Christmas Challenge. Although Dido's Bar will have a base in London, we feel it's incredibly important to tour the show and our current plan is to go to Leicester, Manchester, Oxford and Portsmouth, but we do need your help with this. Donations open at midday on the 30th of November and they close at midday on the 7th of December. So please see our website or visit the Big Give website and search Dash Arts for more details. 
If you like the Dash Arts podcast, please do like and subscribe. I'm Rachel Head, and this week I'm going to leave you with Maruv's final song at his Oxford gig, a beautiful and fitting song for Dido's Bar about not feeling like you're in charge of your own fate. Thank you.
Shut up.